Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. That's right. And if you're looking to get married and you have the desire for love, you can reach out to me and Pastor PJ. We would love to arrange your marriage for you. <laughs> We're entering a new, introducing a new service as part of Compass Bible Church, North Texas. Compass Couple Connections. That's right. And for the low price of $4.99 per month, we will be on the lookout That's for you. That's $499 per month. Yeah, four hundred ninety nine dollars. Yeah, right? not, not five bucks. Yeah, yeah, no. we're not we're not doing this cheapsies. We're yeah, doing no. this the real deal. So if you if you yeah. want to be guaranteed to get married in the next, <laughs> then you can just put down four ninety nine a month, and we will be on the lookout. Yeah, a deposit of uh, four hundred ninety nine thousand up front though is is required. <laughs> Yikes. No, we were just talking about that a little bit, though, because it's it's something that still happens uh, in our culture today. Arranged marriages still yeah. take place. And uh, Pastor Rod decided that's what he's going to do. So I, my kids don't know. Shh, don't tell them. <laughs> Jacob and Adam and Carissa and uh, Phoebe and, and uh, all and the Tabitha. You, you guys, I mean... I mean, I think they have it made in the shade. Yeah. I was just saying, who, who has more wisdom about you than your parents? Yeah. And if if the, if the match makes sense and it's like, hey, yeah, this is a good fit for you. I think this is exactly who you need in life. Man... I yeah. saved them time and heartache. Yeah, but my question was, okay, but what about the uh, the person that, uh, what about the physical attraction thing? We're not going to open up that can of worms again no. because that, that has been can wormed has been and canned. <laughs> wormed and re- rewormed, decanned. But, uh-oh. But, Pastor Rod, your response was, well, why don't you bring like five options and he can pick the, the cutest one out of them. I was clearly joking. <laughs> this is like a police off, lineup. <laughs> off podcast. <laughs> like, we're going to create a separate room that's going to be a police lineup room. It's going to be Mark's office. We're going to have a, a one-way wait, one mirror way in okay. there. Pick and, which one, son. Okay, which pick one? Which one? All right, number one, you can stay. The rest of you are free to go. <laughs> I feel like that creates some complications with family relationships after the fact. You think? You think maybe just a little bit. Hey, uh, happy birthday, Kelly Sugatan. Kelly, yeah. happy B-Day. Yeah, we're grateful for you guys. So I hope you're out celebrating and eating Having some whatever cake Texas you like. Twinkies. Maybe a Texas Twinkie cake. Mm. Yeah. Like mm. stacked vertically. Yeah. And yeah. you bunch together. Throw some chocolate on top of that, man. Sounds good. Uh, you lost me on the chocolate part. Well, I don't know. May not fit. But I'm worth, I'm worth, I'm giving a chance to it. See if it's worth jalapeno, it. cream cheese, brisket, and chocolate and bacon. Well, I mean, they got the sweet in it already, right? They get the barbecue sauce. So you got sweet and you have salty. That's kind of what makes it interesting. Nope. Pass. Hard pass. And then the cream cheese, I mean, cream cheese is the base for cheesecake. So there's. Yeah, but, it, but it's also on bagels. It's, it's a savory thing. Mm-hmm. more than it is a sweet thing. Yeah, but you, I mean, see, that's, that's my point. I, th- I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying it's going to be a perfect match <laughs> to go back to. Why what don't we're you go ahead about. and try it and let the rest of us know how it goes? I will. I will okay. dip said Twinkie in chocolate. Well, Kelly, happy birthday. Don't try a, a Texas Twinkie with chocolate on it. That sounds oddly disgusting. Um, but you know, to each their own, It I could guess. end up in the Texas fair. Who knows? It, you know, if there were pickles <laughs> dipped in fruity pebbles that there I wouldn't go. put it past them. There you go. I don't know that that's a good thing though. Hey, Jeremiah 23 and 24, and then 2 Timothy chapter 2. Jeremiah 23, the summation of this chapter is basically this, uh, future hope, but not yet. 
future hope, but not yet. And uh, he begins with this indictment again of the shepherds. And it's just a reminder again of how important it is to make sure that your pastors are doing the work that they, that God has called them to do. Um, we talked about leadership yesterday in, in yesterday's podcast from more of a political standpoint. Now we're talking about leadership from a religious standpoint. And so those leaders that you place you and your family under as pastors, uh, you need to be able to trust them and you need to be able to trust that they love Christ above and beyond anything else and that they love you as well and want you to love Jesus more. Uh, and that, that's the job of, of the shepherds. That's the job of, of at this time, that was the job of the priests is to, to lead the people to God and to facilitate their relationship with God through the temple sacrificial system. And they weren't doing this. And so God was indicting them, but then holding out this hope that there was going to be other shepherds. I will set shepherds over them, verse four, who will care for them. And here we get one of those already not yet situations because there was a partial fulfillment of this under the return, the initial return of the people from exile with Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel. They were an already not yet example of the good shepherds replacing the, the, the shepherds that had failed the people. But there's ultimately going to be the shepherd that's going to come. And that's going to be the shepherd that in verse six is going to be called the Lord is our righteousness. That is going to be the Messiah. That's going to be Jesus. That's the millennial kingdom that we're looking forward to here. And he's going to be the ultimate example of that shepherd for us. Uh, interesting note here, Zedekiah, one of the final kings of, of Israel, his name meant Yahweh is my righteousness. But here it says that the, the future shepherd, his name will be the Lord is our righteousness. And so this, this hope for the people of Israel that is going to be realized in the coming of the Messiah. And then in verses seven through eight, there another reference to the Exodus again, that those themes being re uh, rekindled with us to, to look forward to the hope. And I, I, Pastor Rod, I think that's one thing that struck me most uh, recently going through Isaiah and Jeremiah is just how significant the Exodus was for the people of Israel and, and the nation of Israel, that it was and it still is i mean the passover right i mean that's one of their 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 banner days of the year their banner feast of the year is the passover feast and it was so significant that it kept coming back up thematically in the prophets and yet it was hey that was one deliverance but there's a future deliverance yet to come yeah and you see it all throughout scripture because it's the greatest salvific event in israel's history at least that's what they think because obviously there's a new exodus that's occurred that's overshadowed the whole thing and actually the, the, the exodus itself pointed to jesus right delivering slaves and, and captives from the enemy into newness of life yeah it is, is replete all over scripture and if you have eyes to see man there's always references which again comes back to a point we've made before the better you know your bible the better you're going to understand the references that the bible makes to itself which will give you a richer and deeper understanding of the scripture right right well from here he turns back to the present again this is there's a future hope but not yet and the, the priest had failed but now he turns to the prophets the prophets had failed the people as well. And these are the false prophets presuming to speak for God when God had not given them a message to speak. Uh, verse 11, both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house, I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Uh, verse 14, the prophets of Jerusalem, I've seen a terrible thing. They commit adultery, walk and lie, strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. Uh, they're doing the very opposite of what God would commission a prophet to do, which would be to go and, and call people into repentance and call people away from sin. They're encouraging sin so much show that the people have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, that, you can't get more stark and in, in, in grave than that at this point in time in history, at least. And so the instruction through Jeremiah is don't listen to the words of the prophets who prophesied to you, filling you with vain hope. When the, when the prophets prophesy hope, when God is prophesying judgment, you know that one is wrong and it's not going to be God. And, uh, and that's what he's telling the people there in, in that section. Yeah. Sad, uh, sad spoiler here. You would think that after God 
evicts them from the land that they would have learned their lesson. But you'll find out in Ezekiel, a prophet in the exile, yeah. that this actually doesn't change. This continues even through the exile that God initiates. Sad yeah. situation, man. Horrible. Horrible. Yeah. Verse 23, am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can man hide himself in a secret place so I cannot see him? And so here you have the, the transcendence of God. God is, we've talked about this before. God is both imminent, meaning he is near to us. He is accessible to us in Christ, but he's also transcendent. He is He is a God that is big and far and and vast in his scope and sequence. And here the, the, the prophets are taking lightly the perversion of the word and, and the the lying claims of their own revelation, but God is saying, I, I know what you're doing and I'm not going to let this go unpunished. Um, and so he is again, uh, calling them out saying, I'm against the prophets verse 32. I'm against those who prophesy, uh, down in verse 36, uh, you who pervert the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, they did not fear those things. And, and that's, that's a, a terrifying prospect. Right. And I think a lot of people do the same thing today. We have people who sin in different ways. And I, Christians, I, su- I suspect, who sin thinking, oh, no one sees this. No, right. one under- no one knows that I'm doing this. God knows. And God sees it. And God sees it in vivid detail. There's nothing hidden from the eyes of God. Transcendent, yes. Transcendent in his holiness. Transcendent in his greatness. But imminent, near. He sees. He's with us. There's nothing you can do that God does not see. There's no thoughts you can entertain that right. God does not understand he knows the inside and the outside and that's worth you taking captive then every thought that opposes the lordship and the majesty of christ what's worthy of his name well a pure heart a pure mind pure actions yeah yeah speaking of prophecy this is why today whenever you hear somebody presuming to be a prophet or saying i have a prophetic word from the lord God takes false prophecy very, very seriously. And the biblical understanding of prophecy is that this is revelation that comes direct from God. And so if, if someone is claiming to have revelation that comes direct from God and they're speaking that into, the, the, into existence, what they're doing essentially is claiming to have scripture, additional scripture. And that's one of the reasons why we would say the prophetic office has ceased today. Uh, the canon is closed. We have the 66 books of God's word that we have everything necessary for life and godliness contained within the pages of God's word that we need no additional revelation to be provided for us. And when, when people play fast and loose with the idea of, of being a prophet and they want to soften what it meant to be a prophet, to, to be a prophet meant to speak God's word and to carry God's message. And the false prophets were held to an insanely high standard such that if their prophet prophecy came out false, they were they were executed for claiming to speak from God when really they didn't have the authority to speak from God. So uh, we're, we're not looking for more prophecy today. And, and the reason is, is because we have everything that we need contained within the scriptures for us to live the, the life that God is calling us to live. Um, when you had the expansion of the church, there were still prophets in the early days of the church because scripture was still being revealed. The God's word was still, still necessary unfolding. It was still necessary uh, today that that has been brought to a close. We believe that the canon has, has been closed, that there's no more additional revelation necessary. And so we are not looking for more prophets to raise up and speak more revelation to us. Right. And there's almost every religious group on the planet suggests that they still have further revelation to give. Uh, Mormons are most famous for this. They, they, they profess to have living prophets who give them direction that is binding on the conscience and binding in a, in a technical sense. It's got theological weight that other stuff does not. We would reject that. And yeah. we would say that scripture is closed. It's complete. It's finished. There's nothing more to add to it. And to do, to try to add to it would be to invite your own catastrophe. The book of revelation says no one should add to this book. 
So, well, it's only speaking about revelation. I don't think so. Right. Because it's a general principle. Scripture has been finished. There's nothing more to add to it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, and, and so what do we do today with the believer that comes up to us and says, well, I have a prophetic word for you. Well, I think we need to ask them, can, what do you mean by that? Right? I mean, when you say you've got a prophetic word for me, what, what do you mean from that? Well, I've got a word from the Lord for you. Okay, well... And not that you have to go into defense of the canon at that point, but a lot of times what people mean by that today is that they're going to take a, a scripture and they're going to bring it to you and say, I feel like God laid this verse on my heart for your life. I don't think that's prophecy in the sense of what we're talking about, about speaking new revelation into existence. And so I, I, we, when somebody comes to you and says, hey, I've got a prophetic word for you, I, I don't think we should be doing that either. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that's a, an okay <laughs> practice for us to be doing, but it does happen today in the church. But I just want us to understand when people say the gift of prophecy still exists today, a lot of times if you press them on that and say, you mean like like Jeremiah and Isaiah and, and Nahum and all these, they're going to back off that real fast because I don't know of anybody that's going to, in the in the evangelical church that's going to say, oh yeah, no, I, I've got direct new revelation from God. They're, they're going to backpedal super fast. And then it becomes clear we don't mean the same thing when we're talking about prophecy. Right. Beware of people that teach that. Yes. And, and granted, there are brothers and sisters who, who, who believe that that's still working and we, we love, God bless them. We'll be in heaven together, I trust. But we... But we would advise you strongly to be aware and be cautious of someone who would say something like that to you. Yes. They typically don't have a firm grasp of what scripture does say. And we would argue that they're misunderstanding even what they do have. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, then chapter 24, we get uh, into the realm of figs. Figs. I like fig newtons. Do you like fig newtons? Mm, I have to be in a mood for them. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's fair. But I, I, I like, I can't remember the last time I had a fig newton actually, but I do See, remember growing up. My dad used to eat them and, uh, and I remember liking them. They were good, but Hey, these are not fig Newtons. These are the actual fruit that is inside of fig Newton called figs. And, uh, this opens in chapter 24 with after King Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem, uh, Jeconiah, the, the son of Jehoiakim, King of Judah, together with some of the officials. This is 597 BC. Okay. So 597 BC, remember BC stands for before Christ. So we're before a common era before Christ era. <laughs> Um, no, this is, so we're sitting about 600 years before the birth of Christ, give or take. And, uh, and so here you have another deportation of some of the people of Israel into, uh, exile. The second one of, of three, the last coming with the final, um, conquest of Jerusalem there, but the people are taken captive and, as they're taken captive, the Lord gives Jeremiah this vision of these two baskets. They've got the one basket having very good figs and another basket had very bad figs. Um, and these two baskets represent the two groups of people that would remain when all was said and done. You had the one, the good figs, as we were talking about in yesterday's podcast, being those that would go into exile. Uh, and then you had the bad figs being the ones that would stay behind in Jerusalem there. And I think the reason ultimately that the those that stay behind are the bad figs is because of their response to the judgment of God. As you were saying, Pastor Rod, even as, as Ezekiel would, would bring out, that this was not a sanctifying uh, impact on the people of, of Israel there. In fact, it, it for some, it made their sin even worse. And that would take place with Jerusalem because rather than turning to God in repentance, they would turn to Jerusalem or they would turn to, to Egypt. They would turn to the foreign nations and flee to them. And, and that would even just draw the ire of God even more. So you've got the good figs representing those that would go into exile and ultimately God would break their hearts over their sin and they would have a repentant heart and they would return. Think of the book of Daniel unpacks a lot of that for us. But then you've got the bad figs, those that stay behind, and they would meet ultimate judgment from God and eventual destruction. 
adds a slightly different shade of meaning to the term remnant. The remnant in this case is not those who stay behind and are preserved in the land. Yeah. It is those who go and are humbly, I trust, repenting before the Lord. And thus, those are the people that God preserves. They are the remnant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's flip to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I love 2 Timothy chapter 2. You love all of 2 Timothy, right? I do. Yeah. Still? Um, Nothing changed from yesterday to, to, to today? <laughs> or uh, 30 minutes ago to now? Yeah. Yeah because that's when we recorded it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, a lot here right off the bat. Um, I remember early on in my ministry career, I read a book called The Trellis and the Vine by Matthias Media. Yeah. And uh, one of the concepts that they hammer home there is the concept of disciple making disciples. And I think we see that in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And what you will, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so that's what we're after. And uh, are we after that with the men in our church? Yes. Are we after that with the ladies in our church? With other ladies? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pastor Rod just did a, an e-break perk up and, and look over at me like, what's he going to say? I was waiting for the or, the or, and the yes. Yeah. I was, I was just, I thought you were setting that up and I, I was disappointed. It didn't yeah. happen. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's for both. Right. And, and that's what we're after. That's when, whether it's in any of our teaching ministries, what we're trying to do is in part in, in part at least is to give, um, instruction and wisdom and knowledge that will replicate itself in the lives of those that are part of our church. And so, uh, that's what we're after is disciple making disciples. one of the things that we do here at Compass Bible Church is a program called Partners Discipleship. Um, and if you have not yet gone through Partners or, or signed up to go through Partners, uh, we would really encourage you to do that. It's a, a great program. It's it's a helpful program to, to walk through a lot of just the fundamentals of Christianity and fundamentals of the faith. But even if you've been a believer for decades, it's good for you to go through this book. Um, it's a helpful way for all of us at the church to get on the same page. And the other thing is, after you go through it, the purpose of the program is for you then hopefully to be equipped to turn around and take other people through this program as well. So that comes from passages like this in 2 Timothy 2, 2, that Paul was saying, Timothy, as you're doing these things with the church there, you should be investing in people that are going to turn around and invest in other people, disciple-making disciples. Had someone suggest to us that uh, the, the term partner is kind of old, it's archaic. Maybe we should update the language. Besties. Nope. Um, buddies. Nope. Uh, fam. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think it's, it's ours to make that decision. Well, we could send suggestions though. Y- yep. You send those suggestions on your behalf. I yeah. Will. Yeah. On your, on your letterhead. Hey, notice in verses six and following, he's talking about, uh, the, the, the need to do the work of the ministry. And, and just note this, he says in verse nine that he's in prison and suffering for the gospel. Uh, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation in Christ Jesus. So here's something to think about. How are the elect saved, right? We, we, the, the elect refers to this doctrine that God has a specific called out group of people that he is going to save that the chosen, elect, predestined, all of those concepts wrapped in here, right? And we believe that, we affirm that. However, this is an important concept for us because Paul is saying his work, his striving, his ministry, his preaching is a necessary component of the salvation of the elect, that he's doing these things that they might be saved. And so the the charge that would say, well, if you believe in election or predestination, you don't you don't believe in evangelism is is a straw man approach because it's quite the opposite. We 100% believe in evangelism because the way that the elect are saved is through someone doing the work of ministry as Paul's doing here, enduring everything for their sake in order that they might hear the gospel and be saved. 
That's right. And in order to do that, to just to go back a, a verse or two, you got to be like a soldier, athlete, and a farmer. Focus like the soldier, discipline like the athlete, and diligent like the farmer. Um, those are the kind of metaphors that describe a really faithful Christian life. It's not. It's it's not like a. It's not comfortable on the easy chair. It's not. It's not a. It's not like a cruising down the block. It's this is a kind of life that invites difficulty and hardship. The Christian life does call us to get out of our comfort zone in order to do the very thing that Paul's talking about to yep. reach others with the gospel so that they can be saved so that we can all share in the blessings of being in Christ together. Yeah, and, and that's what he calls Timothy two in, in verses fourteen through the end of the chapter. Here is to to do that work himself. And so there's there's key passages in this like the one that is the verse for Awana which is a, a program that's a midweek program with scripture memory. It's something that we did at our sending church um, with our kiddos, but it, it's second Timothy uh, two fifteen. do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. That's part of what it looks like to endure all things for the sake of the elect, to, to make sure that you're handling the word accurately. Uh, verses 20 through 21, he talks about being a useful vessel for the Lord, cleansing yourself, staying pure in order to be useful for the Lord in the ministry that, that is going to be done. Second Peter chapter one came to mind where he lists off all of those different uh, things that we're supposed to supplement our faith with. And he says, if you practice these things, you're going to keep yourself from being fruitful, fruitless, or you're going to keep yourself useful uh, in the Lord and, and, and available for him. So that charge to be useful. And then the, the final charge there to keep the goal in mind. And, uh, and we see that in verses 22 there through uh, 26, that, that our goal as the Lord's servant is not to get side tracked by by quarreling and by uh, by getting in all these empty debates but to keep in mind our goal is to see people come to their sentences and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will and so they're kind of pulse summarizing here this is what it looks like to, to do this work yourself Timothy that's right what do we do uh, pastor Rod with uh, verse 13 get rid of it skip it okay don't look at it okay so I, I preached on this uh, a couple of years ago in uh, a, high, a high school ministry. Verse 13, uh, you mean 12 and 13. Yeah, 12 and 13. Uh, yeah. If we endure, to, to, to read it for you guys who are listening, if we endure, we will also, in fact, let me just back up to verse 11. Um, Paul is quoting a saying in the church that was apparently well known to everybody who read the letter, uh, particularly Timothy, but he's quoting uh, uh, probably an early Christian hymn, which sounds like this. If we died with him, we will also live with him. And if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And Paul adds, it seems like Paul adds his own notation here for he cannot deny himself. So in verses 12 and 13, we have an interesting concept here of denying him and him denying us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. I think, and this is this is me reaching back quite a bit because I, I didn't really view my notes on this, but I, I do think that what's happening here is that God can't be anything but faithful to his word. Now, those who embrace him by repentance and faith, he will receive. He will, uh, he will let them reign with him. And there's that sense of endurance in verse 12. If we endure with him, Christianity is not a cakewalk, as we just mentioned. It's like an athlete, a farmer, and a soldier if we endure we're going to reign with him that's the promise but if we deny him he will deny us there's no way in no universe where someone can deny christ and still be right with him therefore the promise is god is 100 consistent for those who repent and trust him he he receives and they will be grafted in never to leave and that's that's the idea here for those who are in christ they will be faithful and he will ensure that those who deny him prove first john two nineteen that they were never part of the the vine to begin with to mix my metaphors and jump to john 15 so if we're faithless god remains faithful he will do what he's consistently doing he can't deny himself so is there a difference there is a difference then between being faithless and denying him 
I, I wouldn't say that there's a difference. Um, I would say being faithless and denying him are one and the same. But God will be faithful whether someone is faithful to repent and trust. He's faithful to gotcha. to honor them. Gotcha. If if someone denies him and is faithless, he is faithful to say, well, then you're denied. Gotcha. Uh, he's consistent with the way that he treats mankind. Yeah. That's how I understand it. I mean, again, that's me reaching back into some of my old notes. Yeah. What do you think about that, Pastor yeah. PJ? I think that's a fair reading. I, I think we can read this and it might seem contradictory because it, it might seem if we are faithless, he remains faithful to us. But it's not necessarily that he remains faithful to us. He is his character. He is still a faithful guy. He is faithful to his word. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. So that that's helpful. That makes sense. Well, church, we uh, are grateful for you guys tuning in for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hopefully it's been a blessing to you. And we hope and pray that you will tune in again tomorrow, Lord willing, for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Bye, y'all. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.